Hello and welcome to the BVC podcast. Here at Brownsburg Vineyard Church, we want you to know that we are a group of ordinary people that serve an extraordinary God. Our mission is to honor God and advance His kingdom by building disciples who will give their lives to changing the world. Whether you are local or joining us from a distance, we want to thank you for being a part of our family. To learn more about us, you can visit thebvchurch.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's message. Thank you again, everyone, for being here this morning. And uh, it's always always fun. Like I said, last week we had baptisms, and today we had uh, child dedications. And so uh, I just I think that as a as a congregation, when we when we have these moments of celebration and spiritual milestones in our life, and we get to share those together, I think that just builds these bonds. And so thank you for everyone who. Participates in those. So, uh, let me just say a, a word before we begin today's message and series. So, uh, God, I thank you for everything that you've already done in this place. God, we know that there are times in our life where you're wanting to break through, but there are things within us that are standing in the way of that. You know, your word says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers of darkness. So, even this morning, if there be anything in us or around this place, God, that is preventing your word and your work from moving forward, we just pray that that would be dismantled and removed. So that every single thing that you have chosen to happen would happen today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, one of the things that I'm often asked to deal with, both because of my uh, role as pastor and my role in the community and in some of the, the businesses that I'm involved in is sometimes I'm, I'm called in to help manage a crisis. Something has gone wrong and something has broken and I'm kind of called to figure out, okay, what, what do we do here? And I always find that one of the best questions to ask when a crisis is going on is almost like reverse engineering, to, to backpedal and to ask the question, what got us here? What were the things that led up to this moment? And usually what I find is that you have to backpedal a lot further. You have to take things back a lot further than what you might think. And so this morning, we are beginning a series on money. For the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about nothing but money. Money, money, money. And you would notice that me announcing the fact that we are doing a series on money did not get a standing ovation or the slightest pause. Just the opposite. I think when somebody stands on the stage of the church and begins to talk about money, it instantaneously causes a sense of maybe awkwardness. Like, oh no. We're talking about this. And for those of you who brought guests today, you might be thinking, oh, the one time I bring a guest to church and the pastor is talking about money. Maybe there's some anxiety. Maybe there's some guilt. Maybe there's even some resistance within us. And what's amazing is of all the topics that we discover in the Bible, there are a few topics that are, are, are spoken to or spoken about as much as money, but yet, nevertheless, we have this resistance. So, how did we get here? 
Without dissecting this thing too much, I think there are two primary influences that contribute to this sense of awkwardness around the topic of money. And one is the fact for hundreds and hundreds of years, the church has been guilty of absolute abuses and mismanagement of money. It's just been part of our history. You could go all the way back to the 1500s and the Catholic Church was selling indulgences, which were little trinkets, a piece of hair that was said to belong to the Virgin Mary, a splinter of wood that supposedly came from the cross of Christ. And what you would do is you would gather money and you would buy these indulgences and hope that by purchasing these indulgences, you could help your deceased loved one who was stuck in purgatory to move from purgatory to heaven. And much of the Catholic Church through the 1500s was funded by the selling of these things. And it would be nice if we could kind of look back on that time in history, kind of like we look back on the time in history when people believed that the world was flat, and we could kind of laugh and have like a chuckle, like, ha I'm so glad we don't act like that anymore, or I'm so glad those things don't happen anymore. But we can't say that, can we? Just this past week, a video went viral of a pastor standing before his congregation, much like this, scolding his congregation for not buying him the designer watch that he asked them to buy. And even though, to his credit, he later apologized, it was too late. The damage was done. The video went viral and once again added to that awkwardness and the resistance. So that's the one contributing factor. The other contributing factor is that each and every one of us are byproducts of this capitalistic consumer culture. And having grown up in this capitalistic culture of consumerism, we are hardwired to have a value and appreciation and an elevated uh, desire for and importance on our possessions on what we own. And so what happens when a topic like this comes up, whether we are cognitively aware of it or not, or co co conscious of it or not, there is something hardwired within us that wants to resist anything that might threaten that thing which we have been hardwired to value. And so today I want us to deal with those two contributing factors to it. And we're going to do that in two ways. First of all, by extension, because I'm the guy behind the pulpit, I represent every pastor who has abused and manipulated people in regards to finances. I represent all the mistakes over the years that the church has made. And if you're sitting here today, and you've been exposed to that, and you have felt that, and you've felt manipulated and guilted by those who have stood in this place, then today... I want to apologize. I want to say I'm sorry for every pastor, for every church leader throughout all of history who, when it came to this topic, used abuse and manipulation to get people to respond. I apologize for that. The second thing I want us to do is I want us to lead us in a prayer that I'm going to invite you to participate in. In this prayer, I'm just going to ask... God, to forgive those abuses, but I'm also going to give you an opportunity to take a time to pray and say, God, I confess 
that as a product of this consumeristic, capitalistic culture, there is a place that I've given in my heart to finances that is way too high. Well, let me just lead us in this prayer of confession and repentance so that we can approach this topic without being obligated to all of these mistakes of the past. So God, I thank you for your grace this morning. Father, we lay before your throne of grace every mistake that has been made in the church. Every instance of a lack of integrity financially in the church, every instance of abuse or manipulation, we lay that at your feet and we pray for your forgiveness. And even though we as a church and the leadership of this church endeavor to exercise the highest integrity, we know that hasn't always been the case. For each person in here that's been exposed to that, we choose today to forgive those leaders and to allow you, God, today and through this series to start with a blank canvas. And to whichever, whatever extent each of us in this room has allowed the culture that we have grown up in to cause us to have give finances and possession an elevated place in our life, we choose today, God, to say you are Lord of our life and we will serve no other God but you. And so allow us, God, to approach this topic with a complete blank slate and hear what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, we're beginning our series called God's Divine Economy, Moving from Fear to Faith. And I want to start this series out by establishing kind of two, uh, two images, two thoughts, two principles. And the first one is this. That, that right now in, in, the, in the ethos of where, where we live, in the, in, in, in the airwaves and, and part of the reality that we live in, there are actually two coexisting economies, two completely contradictory economies that are simultaneously existing and operating together. Not only are those economies very, very different from one another, and not only do they both simultaneously exist, but more importantly, to the point for us today is that you and I actually get to choose which economy we participate in. Two economies, and you and I get to choose which economy. You have the one economy, you might call it the natural economy, the world's economy, and that economy is defined by words such as inflation, recession, cost of living, uh, gas prices, taxes, income taxes, interest rate, your salary, your bills, your 401k, your retirement, your mortgage, dollars and cents. You could probably come up with a thousand other different synonyms that surround the natural or this world's economy. We're familiar with those words. We live them and breathe them every day. I'd like to suggest that the second economy is God's divine economy, and that is defined by four simple words. And those are the words faith, contentment, generosity, and eternity. And what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're simply going to look at those four words. Faith, contentment, generosity, and eternity. And we're going to look at how each one of those words define God's economy and how each one of those words helps to fulfill what the purpose of this series is, which is to bring us to the place where we are willing to choose to participate in God's divine economy. That the end goal of this series is for us to say, I recognize that there are two economies and I want to live in God's economy. 
Once you've been living under a rock, you uh, probably heard, read, seen all of the different financial headlines of all of the different things that are happening, uh, whether it's the recession or, or all of the, the interest rates going up or the national debt. It's like every day we're hearing more and more headlines, more and more announcements of, of the looming recession ahead. You just hear it on a daily basis and we're just inundated with these headlines about what is happening in the world's economy. And not only are we to this just bombardment of headlines, each and every one of us has our own personal headlines, don't we? Some of you dropped your child off at college over the last week or two, and the headline in your life is, how in the world am I going to pay for this, right? Some of you, the headline in your life is, I don't know how secure my job is. For some of your, uh, your headlines are, I don't know what's going to happen in my 401k, whether there will be enough there to retire. So whether it's the headlines that we hear on the internet, on the news, and the newspapers, people still read those, or the headlines in our own personal life, these headlines all serve the same purpose. And what they do is they have this magnetic force of fear that sucks us into this economy, this magnetic force that kind of stirs up fear in our heart and pulls us into this economy and essentially makes us a slave to this economy where we are triggered and we are impacted and our emotions are, are determined and our reality is determined by this economy. But here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that if we so choose, we can take a breath, we can take a step back, and we can say, God, I choose to live in your economy. I choose not to live in an economy driven by fear. I choose not to live in an economy driven by dollars and cents. I'm going to choose to live in your economy. And I'm not saying that choice and coming to that moment of, of clarity is always easy. Now, the root of God's economy is that step of faith where it says where everyone else is tied into and being sucked into this economy, where everyone else is asking questions about this, I'm going to choose to step out of that and I'm going to choose to step into your economy. So I believe that this series will really have the power to bring freedom in our life. At least for those of you who are experiencing fear and anxiety in terms of your finances, that this series will be able to set you free from that. I believe that for those who are finding themselves driven, driven to do more and to work harder and to make more money to somehow compensate for all of the fears, that this series will allow you to say, you know what? This isn't my role, but it's God's role. I think this series will even challenge us to be set free from some of the slavery and the bondage of the consumerism that is part of our life. So today we're going to begin this process by looking at that first word, the first of the four words, and that is the word faith. And to do that, we're going to read a very short verse from the Apostle Paul's writing in Philippians 4.19, and he says this, And my God will supply all your needs according to the riches, His riches, in glory in Christ Jesus. Here's just a little bit of a background to this verse. Paul was one of the early missionaries in the church, and what Paul would do is he would go to one city, 
you would start a church. They didn't have buildings, but they would meet in the courtyards or in the temple or in people's homes. And he would gather people around and he would form this church. He would raise up leaders. And then once he had the church up and running, he would say, okay, now I'm going to go somewhere else. And the expectation is, hey, this church that, that I just raised up here, you know, I was able to do this because the, the people before you funded this. And now I'm going to the next place. So my expectation is you will do the same. You will help fund the next work. And so Paul went out with the expectation that the people that preceded the next church would support them. The problem was is that people didn't always live up to those expectations. And so Paul went out on a limb and often found himself without what he needed unexpectedly and often faced all kinds of unknowns. Now fast forward 2,000 years later and many of us here today are sitting in a place facing all kinds of things we didn't expect to face. Did anybody here ever expect that we would run out of toilet paper? We never expected that, did we? Did we ever expect this recession? We didn't a couple years ago. Did, did any of us expect to be paying over $4 for gas? We didn't expect that. We didn't expect this happening. And there are so many unknowns before us. We don't know what the economy is going to hold over the next two years. But what we learn from these words and what we're going to discover today and throughout this series is this. That if we have faith in God, we will experience financial freedom even in the midst of unexpected financial crisis. So during the week, I often come in here, nobody's here, and I come in here, I talk out loud to myself and think through the message and put it all together and pray through that. So I was doing that for this series this week. I was just thinking through it, praying through it. And right in the middle of that time of preparation, as God often does it, it's almost like He gets my attention and He says something. During the preparation for this Sunday's message, I really felt that God stopped and got my attention, and He said this. He said, Dad. I am calling this church, Brownsburg Vineyard Church, to be an example of faith in the midst of financial crisis. I'm calling this church to actually grow in its faith in the midst of financial crisis. And I want those of you who are leaders in this church and those of you who are regular attenders of this church to hear that and to embrace that. That we don't know what's coming down the road. We don't know what this recession holds. But one thing that we do know is that God has called us to be a people of faith. And I want us to almost steady our hearts, to steal our hearts, to kind of secure our feet and to get ready to hold ground and not to be the type of people who in the presence of fear or in the presence of the unknown or unexpected things or, or when things get a little bit tough, I, I, I don't want us to lose ground or to give up ground. I want us to stand our ground and if not even move more in the face, in the face of this. And I believe God's calling us to do that. Deep in the middle of the, the corona pandemic, as a church, we did a grocery giveaway where we gave away groceries. And in the midst of that crisis, we rose up as a church, and that had a major impact on our community. And so I don't know what lies ahead, but I do know what God wants for us. And that's as a church, God wants us to demonstrate faith in the midst of that. 
And so prepare your heart. Steady your heart. Make a commitment. I shall not be moved, no matter what the circumstances are. So today we're going to start this series not by talking about money, because that's not what we have our faith in, but talking about God, because that is, is who we have our faith in. So I'm going to share with you today three statements about God, and I'm going to ask you three questions related to those statements. And that's where the faith part kicks in. And so the first statement that I want to make about God today is that God intersects with the ordinary to demonstrate His divinity. Here's what I mean by that. Is that God very easily could have been, it was, it was His prerogative, God very easily could have remained in the ivory towers of heaven. He could have very easily remained in the shadows of heaven. And then He could have said to, to us mere mortals, He could have said, you guys need to take this exhaustive pilgrimage that very few people will ever survive and very few people will ever get to the end of, but you're going to have to come and pursue Me high up on the mountains of heaven. He could have said that. It was His prerogative. That is not what he said at all. He said, I'm going to come down to you. And I'm going to break through your natural world. I'm going to break through your ordinary world. I'm going to take the, the natural substances of your life and I'm going to break through those things to show you who I am. To show you that I'm real. To show you that I love you. To show you what I can do. I'm going to do that. So God intersects with the ordinary things of our life to show us how good He is and how great He is. And, 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 the, and, and the, one of the best examples we see of this in Exodus 3, famous chapter where God reveals Himself to Moses, right? And so Moses is out in the middle of nowhere, out tending sheep. And God says, you know what, I want to reveal myself to Moses. There's no billboards out there. There's no TVs out there. There's no Wi-Fi connection out there. There's nothing. And so God is looking around and what is he looking for? He's looking just for something ordinary. Give me something ordinary. And there he sees a bush. And he goes, good enough. Let me take that. So boom, the bush gets set on fire. And God speaks to Moses through the ordinary bush to prove to Moses his divinity. Moses, being one who struggled with faith, needed more. So then, then again, God is saying, oh, we need something else. We need something else ordinary. All right, let's do the staff in your hand. So he says, Moses, take the staff in your hand and throw it onto the ground. And he throws it onto the ground and it turns into a snake. But still, Moses' heart doubted. So God says, Moses, you reach down and grab the snake. And he does. And the snake turns back into a staff. And if you can believe it, Moses still isn't convinced of God's divinity. So God says, ah, what else do we got? What else do we got? Moses, take your hand and put it in, inside the fold of your cloak and then pull it out. And he pulls it out and his hand is covered in leprosy. And that's still not enough. And God says, alright, put your hand back in your cloak. And he pulls it out and it's healed. And what we see from the Bible is that God intersects with the ordinary things of our life. And when it comes to our finances, God invites us to give Him the ordinary things in our life, the ordinary finances in our life, a portion of our ordinary finances so that He can demonstrate His divinity to us. So by giving Him a portion of our ordinary, we might experience His divinity. So in Malachi 3.10 we read this. 
God saying, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there might be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. And here comes the divinity. Here comes the demonstration of God. He says, see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessing without measure. So God is simply saying, give me a portion of your ordinary. Give me a portion of your resources, of what you have, so that I can pour out my blessing." It's an incredible invitation. And all that faith is, is faith is simply believing that God's divinity is worth more than our ordinary. You have an option. You can hold on to your ordinary. Keep the ordinary in your hand if you want. But you will limit the amount of God's divinity that you will see in your life. But if you give God part of your ordinary, you will see God demonstrate His divinity, His power and His grace and His provision in His life. I told you I would be asking you three questions that I want you to contemplate and consider as we move towards the end of this service, as we move throughout this week and throughout the four-week series. And here's the first question. Is are you giving God the ordinary things in your life so that He can demonstrate His divinity to you? Are you willingly giving God that portion that allows Him to demonstrate who He is, how good He is, how powerful He is, how abundant He is? Or are you holding that back? Exercising faith is being willing to give God the ordinary. Second statement I want to make is that God self-identifies as our provider. There's a lot of talk Nowadays, about self-identifying, but the one person, more than anybody else, who had the right, the privilege, or the latitude to self-identify is the one person who was not shaped according to anybody's design or order. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one person who truly had the freedom to decide who and what he was going to be was God. And of all of the things that God could have chosen to be, and it was his prerogative to choose who he was going to be to you and I, one of the things that he chose to be, part of his identity that he chose to have with us, is he said, I will be their provider. He chose to do that. He identified as that. He said, I want you to know me as your provider. In the Hebrew language, which is what the Old Testament is written to, in the Jewish faith, there were all kinds of names of God that people knew Him as and, and referred to Him as the God who saves, the God who heals, uh, the Lord who is my peace, shalom, um, the Lord who is my shepherd. We read that in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. That was a name of God. And amongst all of the different names of God that the Hebrews knew God by, one of them was Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. It was not only something that he said he would do, it was his very identity. The core of his being was that he was the provider. And so it's important for us to understand that when we ask God to provide, we are simply asking him to do what he's already, already promised. We never ask God to provide for what he already has a promise to do. He's promised to provide. He's promised to be that in our life. And the reason, in the verse that we read, that Paul said, my God will supply. If you have your Bibles open to Philippians 4.19, just circle or underline the word will. My God will do that. And the reason that Paul was able to say he will do that, speaking prophetically into every reader's life, he is going to do this, he will do that. The reason that Paul was able to do that 
is because God knew that he would not go against his word or his character. That God will be your provider. And living in the divine economy of God means that in those moments where you and I get triggered by a bill that comes in the mail, and you and I get triggered by a report on the news, by a change in our job, by a threat to our resources, that instead of getting sucked into that economy that's driven by fear and anxiety, we take a step back, take a breath, and we say, Jehovah Jireh, you're my provider. God, you promised to provide, and you always fulfill your promises. And living in the divine economy of God means letting God be who God is. And being very careful about stepping into that place and taking on the responsibility that was only meant for God. We are not our providers. God is our provider. And much of the stress and the anxiety that we experience in regard to our finances is not actually because of our finances, but it's because we have stepped in the place of God. And God does not labor and He does not get tired carrying the weight and the responsibility of being our provider. But that weight will absolutely crush us if we try to carry it. So when those things happen, it's an opportunity for us to just let God be God. So here's the second question I want to ask you. Are you allowing God to be who He wants to be in your life, or are you trying to fulfill His role? Today, there may be an opportunity for you to spend some time in the presence of God and say, God, I confess. I've been carrying fear and anxiety because I've been trying to fulfill a role that is fit for your shoulders and not mine. And so I lay those things down and I ask you to step in to that role in my life. Here's the third and final statement that I want to make, and that is this, that God's economy transcends our capacity. So one of the differences between the natural or the world's economy and God's divine economy is that the world's economy is based on mathematics, but God's economy is based on the miraculous. It's not that God doesn't know math. He does know math quite well. It's that God is not limited by math. That while God can do, goes beyond and transcends math. So I have a little object lesson for you. For those of you who struggled to pass Economics 101, uh, I'm going to help you. And so here's how the world's economy works, represented by apples. One plus one equals what? Very good. You guys passed Economics 101. One plus one in the world's economy always equals two. If you have one apple, you don't have two apples. If you have one apple and claim to have two apples, like Bernie Madoff, you're going to end up in prison. This is a lie, right? Unless you have two apples, you don't have two apples. This world's economy is limited by mathematics. And so, so many times we're, we're so chained to this mathematical equation that when we don't have something, we don't think we can have something. But God's not limited to that. By way of an example, in Jesus' very first miracle at the wedding feast, they had no wine. And his mother comes to him and says, we want 
wine. And Jesus says, what do you have? And he says, we have water. And out of nothing, Jesus makes enough wine for the whole wedding. Nothing into enough wine. And in the feeding of the 5,000, they had five fish, five loaves of bread and two fishes, and they needed to feed 5,000 people. And Jesus said, you know what? That's enough. I can turn that in enough to feed 5,000 people. You see, God doesn't need two apples to provide two things. God can actually make one apple into two apples without needing a second apple. And here's why that's important to understand is because we have to realize that God has access to things that we can't comprehend. If you look at the two verses that we read uh, in Philippians, and my God will supply all your needs according to what? He will supply all your needs according to what you have in your 401k. He will supply all your needs according to how much salary you make. He will supply all of your needs according to what the the, uh, economy does or if the recession happens. No, he's going to supply your needs according to his riches, which are beyond the economy of this world. And in the verses that we read in Malachi, see if he will not, what? Open up somebody else's bank account, open up your bank account. No, to see if he will not open up the storehouses of heaven and pour out blessing without measure. The one thing I want to challenge you in is this, is just because you can't figure out how God's going to provide for you, doesn't mean that He won't. Just because you can't figure out how a financial situation is going to be resolved, doesn't mean that God can't figure that out in your life. This is kind of woven into the fabric of who we are as a church. Because for nine years we labored with no apples. For nine years, we were a church without a building. Heck, for nine years, we were a church without a two-by-four. We, we didn't have anything. We didn't have a building. We didn't have money in the account for a building. We had no hope. We had no pathway to a building. We had nothing. And out of nothing, God drops a set of keys to a building. And then He says, there. In my economy, I can provide something out of nothing. And what we tend to often do in our life and in our finances is we say, I don't have enough to give God. When I do have enough, I'll give God. And so what we do is we limit what God can do to our understanding. And so here's the last question that I want to share with you. So are you allowing the limits of your mind or your resources to limit the provision of God in your life? Are you limiting God to what He can do based on what you have? The Bible encourages us to believe that more can happen than what we're holding in our hands. We're going to encourage the worship team to come forward. Recently, because our calendar year as a church goes from August to July, recently as a leadership team, we created the budget for our upcoming year, which began in August. And we have a whole process for putting this budget together, and which includes contacting all of our ministry team leads and say, hey, what is, what is God doing in, in the area of your ministry? What resources do you need? We bring all of those things together, all of the expenses together, and we come up with a, a sum total. Hey, this is, these, are, these are the expenses. This is the budget expense of what we believe it's going to take to do what God wants to do. And in this particular year, when we put all of that together, the expense side was greater than the anticipated income side. And so obviously, mathematically, that's a problem. 
but we trusted in God. And as leadership, we looked and we said, you know what? We believe in the midst of everything else that God is going to provide more. And so I'm proud to say that as a leadership team, when faced with a mathematical equation, our solution was to stand in faith. To say, God, if this is what you're wanting, if this is what you're going to do, then we trust that you're going to provide. And so I want to encourage you in your own life to be willing to exercise faith. Don't be so in bondage to the mathematics and to the economy of this world where, where you don't ever expect God to do the miraculous. Because He can. And I've seen that happen over and over again in my own life personally and in this church. So as we go into this time of worship, I'm going to encourage you uh, to do a few things. We sing this last song. Just take this opportunity to maybe reestablish your faith in God. Maybe things have gotten a little shaky and you've kind of allowed fear and anxiety into your finances. And today you say, God, step fully into my finances. If you've stepped back from that place of fear, use today as a day to, to say, God, reestablish within me that faith. And if you have never trusted in God, if this has always been an area of your life that God has never been a part of, then today make Him and allow Him to be the Lord of all of your life, including that. If there are changes or commitments that God wants you to make in this area, do that. So I want to encourage you to stand with me. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to have our prayer ministry team come forward. They can come forward now. Our prayer ministry team is always available for whatever need you have going on in your life. Today, specifically, if you are just in that place where you say, God, I desire to have faith and to trust you like I've never trusted you before, then I want to encourage you to come forward and receive prayer from the prayer ministry team. If there's a specific need in your life that you say, hey, I want to trust God in this area of my life like I never have, it'd be great to have prayer support for that. As we pray, you can go ahead and turn the lights down. God, I thank you so much that it is in your character that you have identified as our provider. And I thank you, God, that you are not limited by or limited to the economy of this world, the mathematics of this world, that you can do things that are beyond our understanding. So I pray that each one of us would create room for your capacity to be at work in our lives. For those right now who are facing pressures financially, May in this moment you step in, relieve them of that pressure, and remind them of your provisions.